Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear me? Seems as though I can. Huzzah. Huzzah! Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter. And today we are discussing chapter 14 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This chapter is called The Beginning of the End of the World. (gasps) Also, there's very loud birds outside, just like the last episode, so you might hear some birds. But there's birds in the chapter, so it's relevant. That's fun. (laughs) I am just another woman being introduced in her relationship to a man, Ramondu's daughter. And this is my co- oh, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. And I'm Pitt and Cream. I really I, I really shouldn't have stayed on that island. I had a feeling that one, I knew for sure one of us was going to be Pitt and Cream. Like there wasn't there wasn't a way that that was going to be escaped, so I came up with another option for myself. I figured you were going to be Pit and Cream, and I had my backup ready. Okay, see, perfect. We yeah. both we both <laughs> knew that Pit and Cream was going to be a host this episode, no yeah. matter what. Well, it's Pit and Cream, of course. Well, obviously, a star of this chapter. Who else are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else am I? I'm Chris. Oh, hi, Chris. Hello. How are you? I am well. So, <laughs> as we start the episode, uh. We do things and stuff, and we do a review, a, a review. We do a why summary. This, why is this the hardest part for you? Because I try really hard to do banter, and uh-huh. so I force banter upon you. <laughs> okay. Yay. Sorry, I'm not awake enough to banter yet. I'll I'll bring some later. You'll bring some later. Just, just bring the banter later. So, Kristen, should we start this off by doing our summaries? Sure. Okay. Summaries it is. Uh, would you like to go first? Sure. I just have to remember how to read mine because I wrote it yesterday. <laughs> have to remember how to read. Mm-hmm. My shorthand is sometimes difficult. All right. And it's not effective. So here is my here is my summary. But presently the air became full of voices. Voices that took up the same song that the lady and her father were singing but in far wilder tones than in a language which no one knew. Now at last the old man turned to the travelers and bade them welcome. And no wonder, for the days when I was a star had ceased long before any of you knew this world, and all the constellations have changed. Will you sail further east and come again, leaving one to return no more, and so break the enchantment? Why? Every man that comes with us shall bequeath the title of Don Treader to all his descendants, and when we land at Caerpervel on the homeward voyage, he shall have either land or gold enough to make him rich all his life. I was going to use the bequeathing the title one, but I I opted out of that one, so Hmm. I don't believe we have any duplicate sentences because I focused on the rest of the chapter. Go for it. Do do tell and share. Do tell and share? Mm-hmm. Share and tell? Uh-huh. 
Don't show, though. Yeah. It's a podcast. Yep. We can't do that. Audio medium. Mm-hmm. Here is my summary. Oh, I might have one in common with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. To break this enchantment, you must sail to the world's end, or as near as you can come to it, and you must come back having left at least one of your company behind. That is my heart's desire, said Reepicheep. Do you think the privilege of seeing the last things is to be bought for a song? At the end of the half hour, they all came trooping back to Aslan's table and stood at one end while Drinian and Rince went and sat down with Caspian and made their report. And Caspian accepted all the men, but but that one who had changed his mind at the last moment. That night they all ate and drank together at the great table between the pillars where the feast was magically renewed and the next morning the dawn treaders set sail once more just when the great birds had come and gone again. Cool. There you go. Um, Gosh, this chapter is all over the place, isn't it? It is. But it has some of my favorite lines that I've ever gotten out of, like just, just phrases. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want to read two phrases that I really loved out of this. Would you like to start off with that and do like a seven-sentence summary, or would you like to include those? No, no, pepper, no. Just, pepper them into the episode. Just these just phrases. <laughs> anyway. To know what fault a star can commit. Mm-hmm. To know what faults a star can commit. Like that, I don't know, something about that line just like was really cool. You think that's where John Green got the idea for the fault in our stars? Maybe. And then... <laughs> Drink oblivion till your return. Mm-hmm. I just loved that sentence. It's the yeah. phrase. It's a really good, like, metal album title. Yep. Drink oblivion until your return. Cool. Um, so let's talk about what happens here. Like, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, this chapter also makes me really want to read that Narnian cosmology book that we picked up a long time ago. Yeah. And and get into that because, like, I have a lot of questions about how cosmology and Narnia works now. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. So, hey, the door opens that started opening in the end of the last chapter, and a figure comes out, and he looks like old man. With he's hair all the way down to his feet. And a beard all the way down to his feet. Like, he's just wearing a little hair robe. Whoa. Um, <laughs> Is he actually dressed? Does it does it say that? Hmm. Old man. Fleece. No, it doesn't. It just talks about his hair and beard. Oh, no. Behind him in his robe. His robe. Okay. Okay. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be... That's some fan art you can send us. <laughs> <laughs> and they come out, and before he addresses anybody, they immediately start singing. A cold kind of song, an early morning kind of song. And as they sang, the gray clouds lifted. And they sing and basically they, usher in the sunrise. Yeah. And so with, with with all the weirdness of this chapter and with, like, the magic of this world, is this, like, a literal thing where, like, they're calling the sun and, like, I don't know, making the sunrise? Or is this just, like, some ritualistic kind of situation where, like, oh, hey, we sing to the sun every morning because it's fun? Yeah, that is a question I had, too, where it's, like, is this just... An acknowledgement ritual of the hey look the sun is coming up 
Here comes the sun. Do 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 do. Or it's a thing that we do every morning. It really is. <laughs> insight, insight into our lives. Uh-huh. Um, or is it, in fact, the actual act of their singing that is bringing about the sunrise? This is a question I had as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, what do you think? Uh, I mean, given what we know later in the chapter, like, hey, spoilers, the old man is a star. Like, we'll get into that. But given that, like, I don't think it makes a lot of sense for him to be, like, the one who has power over night and day. Yeah. Like, especially since it's established, like, hey, he's he's an old man and, like, he's no longer has star. his power and, like, he's, you know, Yeah. So I don't, I don't think this is I mean, is a you thing. say no longer has his power. He is in the same category with Karayakin, we find out, who is a magician. Yes. yes. So, uh, and Karayakin, I have a whole thing to go into. Also, how does he have a daughter? Like, th- there's lots of questions that this chapter poses to us that uh, we don't answer. However, I, I don't think that they're actually summoning the sun and this is like a ritualistic thing. However, lots of birds do show up. And they're also singing with weirdly human voices. Mm-hmm. Now, with the birds, are you are you ready to get into the birds, or are you still going through your breakdown right now? Um, I'm ready to I'm I'm ready to get into the birds. I I did have because the birds work for the bourgeoisie. I did have something I was going to go into with this line here that says once or twice before the Narnians had wondered whether the sun at its rising did not look bigger in these seas than it had looked at home. Yeah. Um. And yeah, sure. That I, I have some I have some stuff to go into there that I think I want to save for my baseless speculation because I have a wild harebrained theory. Okay. So, well, let's remember that line. But let's get into the birds. All right, the birds. The birds are describing as covering everything like snow. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're singing this song. Yeah. And I had a, a thing that I didn't bring up in the last chapter when we first mentioned this whole renewed feast, that mm-hmm. it's renewed every day. Yeah. The first thing that I thought of when I read that, that there was a feast that was renewed every day, mm-hmm. was I thought about the manna that was that came from heaven for the Israelites as they traveled across the desert mm-hmm. or wandered around in the desert. Yeah. The the manna, when they came out in the morning, was covering everything. Mm-hmm. And it was like snow. Yeah. And then it was refreshed every day. And they mm-hmm. couldn't hold it and keep it for the next day. They had to wait for the next day's manna. Okay. There. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's... I didn't, I didn't go there, but that's spot on. So I went there with the last one where I was like, oh, this meal reminds me of manna being refreshed every day for the Israelites wandering in the desert. And mm-hmm. then when the birds come and they cover everything like snow, it also made me think of that because they're covering everything like snow at the dawn uh-huh. and eating the previous day's leftovers mm-hmm. so that the new day has to be refreshed. Yeah, And so, I don't know, that just kind of confirmed for me something I hadn't mentioned in the last chapter that had stood out to me. Yeah. And I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. What does, like, if that is the symbol here, what is that, like, meant to represent about this journey that they're taking on the Dawn Treader? 
because if we're talking about, you know, Narnian theology, mm-hmm. all of this is Aslan's table and yeah, blah, 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 blah. It's just here for those who are traveling to the end of the world. Apparently. And what, so while we're still talking about the birds, like they come in, they cover everything, they refresh the table, they sing this crazy. We, we'll, we'll come back to the coal. Uh, okay, because I... We'll come back to the coal. I've got I've got notes on the coal, too. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I was... I wanted to include the coal because that kind of segues into my take on the, the biblical imagery of this. Oh, okay. All right. So the coal reminds me of the coal from the altar taken by the angel to touch which, which prophet was it? One of the prophet's lips, and he says, now your, your lips have been made clean? Yeah. Which prophet? I, off the top of my head, I have no idea. You're a bad theology major. Yes, I am. <laughs> Some of our listeners are screaming right now. Yeah, I didn't get that. Uh, you didn't get that? I, I didn't get that impression from this or the mana thing because the direction I was going with it was like the imagery of them coming out and like, you know, the old man is revealed in the doorway and like they, they're singing to the sunrise and like all these birds come out and like the bird delivers coal and he eats the coal and it's this very like mystical thing. Uh, gave me really strong impressions of like apocalyptic imagery okay yeah and like something from revelation where like you know the prophets are reading the scrolls and like there's the appearance of these mystical beasts and like this very like rich yeah metaphorical imagery yeah is showing up and that's something that i want to get into probably really hard when we review the entire book Mm -hmm. but we can talk a little bit about this chapter is that that got me going down a train of thought where I was just like, well, if this is revelation imagery, maybe I've been going down kind of the wrong path with the seven deadly sins thing where each island is a different deadly sin. And maybe each Islander encounter we've had is, you know, chronologically some major key element in a biblical narrative. Okay. Because here we are at the beginning of the end of the world, which very literally is like, the beginning the, of the apocalypse. Yeah, the beginning of the apocalypse, the revelation of what's at the end of the world. Like, okay. That That's kind fair. of thing. And so if we go backwards, what might the other islands be and what might we be seeing? Okay. And the only other thing I've come up with so far that makes any sense is uh, the delivery from slavery that we get in the Lone Islands of them coming out of servitude. Yeah. With the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And so we kind of start there, way mm-hmm. back in the Pentateuch, and then move forward, and this is Revelation, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And so I'll have to work more on filling in the rest of the details, but I feel like that might be a thing that makes sense. I think we've so, decided that this is, in fact, an Arnian theology podcast. Yeah. <laughs> We have. Uh, so I, I like that idea a lot, too, uh, just because, like, I'm growing frustrated with my seven deadly sins thing because I can't make this island work. <laughs> I really can't. Though I, I though I do have some more thoughts on Karayakin. Anyway, you wanted to talk more about the uh, the birds there. Were we done with the birds? Um, the birds are singing. Mm-hmm. The birds eat the food, and the birds deliver the coal. Mm-hmm. So the birds are coming, one of them is bringing a coal, and this coal is part of Ramondu's 
de-aging. Yes. So that he can become a new star. This this is this is some stuff we have to get into. Yes. So Ramandu is a star that aged out. He's retired star. He's done being a star. He's coming back down to the earth to rest on this island. As as Aslan had said mm-hmm. to Karaikin when all the stars come to rest on islands. That foreshadowing. Yes. And I was right. I, I didn't directly remember that this was a thing, but it like struck me, that sentence of Aslan struck me as yeah. something that I wanted to look more at. Yeah. And so, yes, it is It is what I thought it was, that Karaikin is a star and that the stars come to rest on the islands. With that said, though, I think it's really, really interesting that Ramandu is getting younger so as to be able to become a star again. Mm-hmm. Now, the question about his daughter is very curious because she is possibly a young star who is at the verge of re-entering the sky, in which case she's older than Ramandu in chronological time. Except she doesn't get a call. She doesn't get a coal, which means that she's not in the process, probably. Yes. So we don't really know anything about her, and it doesn't make a ton of sense. However, Ramandu is in the process of, like, regenerating as a star. Mm-hmm. And so when Aslan says that thing to Karaikin about, like, when all of the stars come to rest on islands, to Karaikin, this doesn't really make sense because they have a life cycle that's renewed. Well, I, And so do are all of them going to come down to islands and there's going to be no stars left in the sky and then they'll all be renewed at once? I think... In what, the new Narnia? I think what Aslan actually says is many stars will come to rest before the duffers are ready to see my presence. Ah, okay, so okay, that's, like that's right. A okay. lot of time will pass here before. Yeah, got it. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, also, in your book, do you have the artwork of, of Ramandu and a bird? No, I don't think so. Okay, so I have this really fun artwork that I that I have here. Yeah. And when I first saw it, my thought was, like, how did Dumbledore and Fox get into this book? Yes, it Cause is. Because <laughs> that's... So, yeah, that was the other thing. Like, these birds gave me mad phoenix energy. Like, they're, like, swooping in and then gone. They're singing and one of them delivers this hot coal, like that fire imagery of the coal and this idea of like the phoenix yeah. really stood out to me because Ramondu says that he's eating the coal to be renewed. Yes. So, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of imagery there. And it's it's very fascinating stuff. So It's obviously so fascinating we could spend exactly like seven minutes on it. Well, I have more to talk about later, but Ramandu's a star. Like, apparently there's a cycle of death and rebirth for stars, and this is how they work. Yep. And Narnia, I don't know. Um, yeah, what is what is the universe of Narnia called? What is We don't even know what the planet it's on is called, realistically. Uh, however, at some point in this chapter, somebody does refer to it as Earth with a capital E. Interesting. So, <laughs> I thought How that. dare they? I thought that was kind of fun. Gorsh. Um, fireberry, et cetera, et cetera. Fireberry. Sorry, it's yeah, not a cold. Yeah, it's not a cold. It's a fireberry. It sounds spicy. Yep. And 
then there's this fun little exchange where Eustace is just like, in our world, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas because Eustace knows things. Yep. Um, which, which is bad, and Eustace being educated about science, like, yeah, that's wrong. It is. Very like, he, wrong. Do, he doesn't know, like, great tales and, like, hero stories, so he's, he's an idiot. So <laughs> I'm coming back to my Eustace apologetics. Okay, good. Um, and Remandu is like, even in your world, that's not what a star is, but only what it's made of. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the difference between saying that you are carbon and water and base metals and elements versus that's what you're made of. Mm-hmm. I would, I, I would say that that is a cool statement to add like this idea of magic to our world. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, because like, it's still within this idea of like creating a magical experience. Like, I don't know. I like it. I like the idea that the stars in our world actually have some more to them. Yeah. That they are something more than what they're made of. But then what are they doing up there? Like what's Raman doing? Cryogon? Like what, what are they all doing? Like, and that's going to segue into our talk about Cryogon is like, that's implying, you know, in our world, there's just billions of magical old folk hanging out in the sky doing what what are what are they up there for what are all of the like (laughs) what are all of the mythologies saying that they're doing because i feel like that's where lewis is taking all of this like the fate being in our stars Uh uh-huh you know like the idea of the stars directing fates they're they're governing governing fate somehow and then apparently they can go wrong because we find out kariakin is in fact a star also and he is being punished. Yeah, he didn't actually. He could have burned in the sky for much, much longer. Which is which is something that I brought up in one of my baseless speculations. You and, did. You said, I think he's being punished. Like, yeah. why else would Aslan goad him about the duffers? Yes. So, yeah, that, that does paint that chapter in a very new light. Where his whole thing is a punishment. And Aslan's just coming by to gloat, basically. And being like, how's it going, Karaikin? Doing, doing well. You're going to be here for another few thousand years. You like that? Cool. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. That's a, it's an interesting stance for Aslan to take. But he's being punished. We don't get to know why. Because it's not for a son of Adam to know this information. It's also not our, not Ramondu's story to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the more this, this appears, the more... I just feel like it's just like Lewis wants to leave mystery and not actually explain himself. Well, I mean, I feel like, like that makes sense. <laughs> where this happens so often where it's just like, oh, hey, why did this thing happen? That's not for you to know. Cop out. But. A little bit. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, maybe he he's governing fate wrong. I, I couldn't begin to imagine what a star would do that's sinful. But. Yeah. That's... I don't know. Don't know. Um. But is Karayakin Lucifer, though? That is that is a question. <laughs> and then, like, what? Yeah. It also leads me to questions about, like, was the hermit in the horse and his boy a star? Mm-hmm. Because he seems to have some kind of mythical, mystic connection. Yeah. Are these, are these magic, like, how... Are there children of stars just wandering around? Like, yeah, is are there children. just children of stars walking around? Like, are there 
are there half star people walking around? It was Jadis a half star person. Like, is this magic that's being introduced into the world? Like, Karayakin is writing a book of magic. Uh-huh. And, like, spells. And, like, almost creating magic. Like, he has this innate magical ability that we've previously talked about because of the magician's nephew, which, as we know, was written later. Mm-hmm. Like... At this point, it would be very reasonable to think that Jadis had been a star. Because if we hadn't read The Magician's Nephew first, yeah. so far the only magic that we've seen a person like enact on the world mm-hmm. has been like hermits using pools, yeah. has been Aslan, has been the witch, and has been like Karaikin and Romandu. A little bit of Cornelius. Little bit of Cornelius. And like But the... like is he is he part star? <laughs> like uh, And I then we had like the hag. I would yeah, I would I would disagree. I mean, having read the magician's nephew first, I'd disagree about Jadis because she comes from a different universe entirely. Yes. Uh with very different rules as far as we know, so I don't think that that really applies to her. Um uh, Though her magic did come with her and it did transfer between universes, which is fascinating. But not to the same extent. Yeah. <clears throat> she didn't have the same magic and she had to learn the magic of Narnia. Yeah. So, I don't know. We could do a whole episode just talking about that. Let's uh, do it. <laughs> but, gosh, don't know. Karayakin did something. He fell. No, stars but are is, interesting. Is the hermit a star? Are there half star people walking around? I want to know. Possibly, I, I, just because for storytelling purposes, I don't want that to be the only explanation for magic in Narnia. Yeah, and I think that's boring if you're just like, oh, you can do magic if you're a part star person. Well, I mean, and that's if you're starborn. Yes, but when you <laughs> read the magician's nephew, mm-hmm. they say that the magic is accessed via royal blood. Uh huh. Like, that's how the magic, like, he's obviously some great ruler. So, like, in Jadis's world, that's how it's how it's done. Yeah. Um, in our world, like, in that same book, they talk about how Uncle Andrew might have fairy blood in him. Yeah. Like, and that's somehow how he has acquired this magical access. Because, you know, some people by virtue of birth are just better. And that's, or different, yeah. or slightly more evil, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Calvinism aside, we have <laughs> we have this question here that I want to pose about because I disagree with you. Like, you can't just access magic because you're born a star, but you can create magic. Karayakin can create spells. Mm-hmm. Or access them or put them into a way that other people can use them. Lucy can use spells mm-hmm. that are in Karayakin's book because she's a young, innocent female. Uh huh. Naturally. And so there is some requirements to the use of magic in Narnia that are weird. Yeah. Do we ever. I know that we're spending, we're spending way too much time on this, but did we ever actually establish that? Because, like, that's what the Duffers said. Yeah. And they were like, and they were like, no, it has to be a young, innocent girl, et cetera, et cetera. But we also established that they're stupid. 
So, like, this could be, like, complete nonsense. Could be. And, like, I don't think Karaya can ever confirm, oh, it had to be a young girl to read my magic and make it work. Like, possibly could have been anyone. I mean, we needed an <laughs> Eve figure. Yeah. For a Lucifer attempt. Of course. Um, with his ooh. magic book of power Gosh. and... See? See? This is making sense now. We need to, <laughs> we, we need to move on. Okay. Uh, however, one last thing I wanted to say on the star thing, and... I I just wanted to throw this out there without naming the book because I feel like it's a kind of major, major spoiler. But there's there's definitely a book that we both read recently where like the the star imagery kind of like reminded me of that. Okay. And and and, and this idea of stars being more than what they they seem. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Uh-huh. I do like that. But in that one there was a mortal involved in that process mm-hmm. that I don't know. Like, is Ramandu is still identifying as a star yeah. standing in front of them in human form. Yeah. As opposed to saying, oh, I'm just a man right now. Mm-hmm. Like, Kariakin is identifying as a magician. Yeah. Not as a star, which mm-hmm. I think is also interesting. Karaikin never says, hey, I'm, I was a star. Yeah. So. He's disgraced. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Also are they angels, but. Also are they angels. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. is Karaikin Lucifer. <laughs> uh-huh. There's always one. Anyway, moving <laughs> on. So we. <sighs> Sorry, continue. So we have this ritual that we have to do, and there's only one way to free the sleepers from their slumber yeah and for whatever like of all of the like contrived ways to break curses and spells and whatnot in fiction like this is this is up there this is up there yeah with something really contrived because it doesn't make any sense it's just like hey these three these three lords came to the island they sat down at the table touched the knife they weren't supposed to touch but went into a magical sleep cool the only way to bring them out of that is for completely unrelated people to sail to the edge of the world where they the sleepers never went to. It doesn't have to be completely unrelated people. Like, like it could have been other members of their crew. Yes, you have to go to the edge of the world and leave somebody behind so that the sleepers come out. And yes, I'm aware of the very strong like substitutionary atonement imagery here of being like, oh, we need a sacrifice to t- you know cover the sins of these sleepers so they can come back, and somebody has to give themselves up who's pure of heart. It doesn't say pure of heart, but Reepicheep is the first one to volunteer, and, like, he's the purest soul on the ship, so... Obviously. Like, there's the whole thing, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I agree with you about the, yeah, the leaving someone thing. It doesn't make a ton of sense. I do think that it makes sense that someone would have to go complete the journey that they failed at because this table is here for the people who are trying to get to the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And so these are people who fell short in their journey, and so their journey needs to be fulfilled uh-huh. um, in order to release them from what ensnared them or whatever. <sighs> so, yeah. but like. <sighs> I also, I also feel like there there is an, a lack of clarity because they say get as near as you can to the edge of the world and leave someone. 
And like right now, they're at the beginning of the end of the world. Leaving Pit and Cream on this island could, may very well break the enchantment. And it has nothing to do with what they do after they leave. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we know Pit and Cream doesn't stay on this island because it's it's told what happens to him after returning. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, yeah. Who knows? But somebody has to stay a, behind. It is a weird, contrived way to break a spell. It is. Somebody has to stay behind. Uh, and, of course, that's Reva Cheap. He is gladly volunteering for this. This is his heart's desire. Yeah. That is what he wants to do because, you know, that prophecy we mentioned once, and I don't even remember how it goes, but there's a prophecy over Reva Cheap that he's mm-hmm. going to go and find something off the edge of the world. And there's a song that he sings to himself over and over and over again. Yeah. Where sky and water meet, so Reba Cheap's song, uh, or little prophecy, was where sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet. Doubt not, Reba Cheap, to find all you seek. There is the utter east. Um, before we move on from that, though, there is a, there's one other thing that I saw when, when looking at Reba Cheap's prophecy. Mm-hmm. Before we move on completely from that. Yeah. The idea of Elijah being taken bodily into heaven without dying. Uh-huh. That is something that has come up in my research of Reba Cheap's prophecy. Yeah. I don't know what that, like, what that fulfills or what that does mm-hmm. or what that, but, like, there is a biblical precedent for this kind of thing, but also, like, I think we we have very thoroughly in the last, like, three chapters taken a very Christocentric view of this and like yes because it's Narnia but (laughs) but the author of this book was very much into various different mythologies and not and not throwing the baby out with the bathwater on different religions yeah he was he's very much someone who's like if Celtic philosophy has something that's of value we should take that and keep it and not just say that it's bad and if Greek mythology can teach us something, we should keep that and and make it like yeah. a revelation of the truth that they that I find in you know Lewis was was not one to just discard things yeah so like Lewis has Bacchus in the books he mm-hmm. has Father Christmas in the books because he sees these as revelations of various different yeah um, aspects of the divine yeah and this is this is very like greek odyssey-esque yes in terms of the structure of this book and how the story is told exactly and so taking uh, like i I want to kind of look into that side of things more so than just the bible and being like oh yeah reap a cheap's elijah but like what other character is reap a cheap is he odysseus like what is this what's going on so i would need to do more research and we're also like at time so (laughs) we got a lot more to talk about. So. Yeah, All right. we do. We've been in, going into this. Cool. Um, so anyway, uh, somebody has to sacrifice themselves, and now we we have this long conversation about who's going with them, because we're going to go to the edge of the world, and we have to ask the men, because oh, Roman... No, no, what about Roop? Oh, uh, Roop is going to stay behind, because he's tired of islands, but we're going to leave him on this one, because he can actually get sleep here. Dreamless sleep. Yeah, uh, Ramandu asks, who mm-hmm. is this lord you're talking about? Yeah. And who is this Roop? And they tell the story of Roop. Yeah. Which I think 
Ramondu will like recognize that island. Yeah. It possibly. And what what effect was had on him? Was it an island? Was it an island? <laughs> yes. It said it was an island. Um so I think that there is something to look at there and say, "Oh, okay, like Yeah. Ramondu knows what Root needs and can give it to him. Which is nice. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, we need to move on. I don't want to talk about Root. Um, so we talk about who's going with us because we're going on a journey to the end of the world. And we have, we do we, have a moment of Lewis uh, addressing the, the land, lands person. Yes. Where Lewis has to explain to us that the wind changes in the fall or in the spring. Yeah. We, we need to know port and starboard, and we need to know which way the winds go. Yes, but this guy's been sailing this whole time, not not voicing his fear that they can't get back until now. Eh, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe Aslan will magically blow under our sails and send us back at the end of us. <laughs> Whatever. But we can't have unwilling seamen join us for the journey, because that won't do at all, says Ramandu. So we have to talk to the crew and be like, hey, we're going to give everybody the opportunity to either go or, like, stay here, because I, as the captain, am going to go. So well, we're not and, turning around. Yeah, he, but he makes it, he like, they all start talking about how, oh, should we stay in winter here? Should we continue on? Should we go back to Narnia? And Caspian's just like, this isn't something that y'all get to decide. Mm-hmm. It's a privilege to go with us. Yeah. And you, A, have to volunteer, and B, have to be recommended by Drinian in order to... But we also have Rhinelf again, and we've confirmed, because we received a uh, searchable PDF of the book. Yes. We have confirmed that Rhinelf was mentioned in Chapter 1. Yep. He's in there twice. He's not a product of the Dark Island. And then he doesn't show up again until the Dark Island. Yeah. His name is not mentioned again. But it's like Lewis remembered that he was there. And so he's used him in this chapter too mm-hmm. to be like, do you do you get that? I'm not sure if you get the hang of what I'm saying, but uh-huh. we're, not, we're not pressed into service here. And he's like this big champion of the voyage. Although, and correct me if I'm wrong here. But at some point, when the ship is having difficulties, like they're the when they're caught in the storm that breaks their mask, yeah, their their mask, their mast, with a T, when they're caught in that storm, does it not say that they lost someone? I believe that they did lose someone overboard. So they lose someone overboard. Someone it, it, it doesn't it outright say that they died, but they lose someone in the storm. Uh, yes, they did lose someone overboard. In the chapter that's all uh, Eustace's diary, chapter 5, The Storm and What Came of It, says, And there was hardly any rest for anyone, and nothing could be cooked, and nothing could be dried, and one man was lost overboard, and they never saw the sun. So, yes, someone someone did fall overboard. Rhine Elf. So, might have been Rhine Elf, and this might still be some creation of their imagination from the dream island yep or the embodiment of the dream island he might be the star being reborn from from the dark island whoa whoa all right so anyway we need to move on we have some trickery afoot here where 
Caspian is just like, I have a plan with Drinian, and we're going to slowly get all the men to agree to this by being like, oh, this is like some great privilege and honor, and we're going to get a word well, of wealth. Reframing and- this kind of adventure is really important. But I also like the moment where Lucy says, Reap, aren't you going to say anything? And he's like, why do you expect me to? I'm going to keep going. Yeah. My journey is to go. And when the Dawn Treader fails me, I'll take my boat. And when my boat fails me, I'll swim. And when my paws fail me, I will drown in the ocean with my nose pointing toward the east. And Peepa Keep will be the leader of the mice. Yep. He has, a, <laughs> he has this really impressive speech. Yep. Uh, apparently, Peepa Keep is his second in command of the mice in Narnia because there's a hierarchy, I guess? I mean, he <sighs> is the first mouse. Like, that is his whole, like, title thing. Like, he is yeah. the leader of the mice. But, yeah, apparently <laughs> there is a... Who knew? We could talk about that whole episode on mice hierarchy in Narnia. And the mice bourgeoisie. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, anyway, this all happens. They slowly get all the sailors to come to consensus, and they all agree to go because they don't want to be left behind, so they're all going to volunteer. Oh, look, they're all getting chosen, except for the one guy. If you're the last one to speak out and the last one to change his mind, you get he left behind. He was actively trying to convince other people yeah. not to go, yeah. so I feel like that's valid. However, yeah. we're also talking about a whole crew of people who are now going to go to the end of the world and come back and report about it, and yeah. that one guy is not going to have been a part of it. Yeah, and maybe this is a nod to what happened with Karayak, and maybe that's what he did. Like, maybe there was consensus among the stars for something, and Karayak was the one hold out and just being like, no, and so he got left behind. But uh, what's this guy's name again? Ramandu. No, Pit and Cream. Pit and Cream, great name. Pit and Cream, the one, <laughs> the one who does not get to go. Yeah. Um, he has a miserable time. Has a miserable time because he's not the kind of person that Ramandu and his daughter would like to talk to. What does that mean? And he doesn't get anything <laughs> out of talking to them. So yeah. He he doesn't keep good company with stars. He's like Eustace. Uh-huh. And he has become like a Eustace figure here, mm-hmm. where he is the dissenter, and he's the one that nobody wants to be around. There's got to be one. There's got to be one. Uh, so Pink and Cream you gets know. left behind. He doesn't have a good conversation, uh, and, and apparently later goes to settle in Callerman. Yes, where the tells, bad guys go. And tells stories about how he went to the end of the world. But he never could stand mice. Couldn't. <laughs> Um, and then we end the chapter with more, like, really awkward flirting between Caspian and the nameless lady. Yep. And that's it. Cool. That uh, nameless lady. Anything, I, I think we talked at length about this. Is there anything we need to cover before we move on? If this is apocalyptic imagery, mm-hmm. what does Pit and Cream Stain behind represent? He's the one that gets left behind in the rapture, don't you know? I'm rolling my eyes so hard <laughs> right now. That's... You know, because that's a thing that's talked about in Revelation. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Shame on you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, He's the one that isn't chosen. Like, there you go. Yeah. He thinks he's going to have a better time staying on the... Staying on Earth, and apparently not. Cool. Uh, yeah, was that it? That's uh, I mean, there I could go into many of these topics further, but I think that touching on them as we've done is good and will give us a lot of fuel for our wrap up episode at the end of the book. Yeah. Well, I have to have to rethink my whole deal here. Yeah. Because I, I I just I couldn't make a sin fit with this island because like I really wanted gluttony to work because of the table thing, but like it's 
I like the really ra- I like the wrath one, where the guy reached for the knife and they got frozen. Yeah, they which, got sleeped. Yeah, could be wrath. So we'll we'll work with that. But also, like, what is Pit and Cream's sin here? Is he the one who has? Is he the representer of the sin where he he's afraid of going forward? Well, if we're if we're going with our other our other list of sins, the the non official Catholic version, the Greek version, yeah, no, the, the Catholic version. There are two versions. <laughs> There's only one sin different between them. The Greek yeah. version has despair. Yes, and maybe that's it. Maybe this is despair. No, that's what the Dark Island is. Oh, uh, I guess so. Yeah, I, I I keep wanting to say the Dark Island is lust, though. Okay, whatever. Because right. it's desire and it's a dream and it's... No, but that's that's the opposite of the kind of dream that it is. <laughs> yeah, but it could be any dream. It doesn't necessarily say this has to be nightmares. Like, yeah, whatever it dreams is, you It have. is your dreams. Yeah. If it was your daydreams, if it was your desires, then yeah. maybe lust. But it's not. It's dreams. It's what your brain's doing when you're not doing something. Yeah. I don't know what we were working. I, I'm I'm not discounting the possibility that there's yet one more island to be had in this book. So, we'll we'll get there and we'll see. Okay. Um, cool. So, shall we move on to our uh, rewrites? Sure. All right. How do we do that, Kristen? Hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed. Uh huh. The Narnia fusion buffet. Yeah. Bring it I called back. it something else last week because I didn't remember that we had a title for it. Oh, oh, Narnia chop suey. <laughs> the Narnia patchwork quilt. Yep. Um, the Narnia melting pot. Yep. So when we read the chapter, we mm-hmm. also select out five sentences from the chapter that we try to create a new story with. What fun! It is <laughs> most of the time. Uh-huh. Um, we just try to rework the words of the chapter as they are and make a new chap make a new story out of them. So um, you read your summary first, so I'll go ahead and read my rewrite first. Cool. Let him sit beside these other three and drink oblivion till your return. His name was Pit and Cream, and he stayed on the island of the star all the time the others were away looking for the world's end, and he very much wished he had gone with them. I don't know if you get the hang of what I'm saying. Don't let's even think of it, said Eustace. He must have had terrible times. Yeah, this is fun. So Pitt and Cream's a sleeper here in this. Uh... Yeah, I was trying really. This, this chapter has frustrating sentences because what I wanted to do <laughs> was to be like, let him drink oblivion until you return. Pitt and Cream is left behind. Uh-huh. And he dies, or the party never returns. He just wanted Pet and Cream to suffer. I didn't want him to suffer. <laughs> I wanted him to die, or I wanted the entire rest of the party to die. But there were no sentences for that. Yeah. That's why I included the, like, I don't know if you get the hang of what I'm saying, because I'm like, he's a <laughs> drinking oblivion. <laughs> you didn't get the hang of it yet. You get it? You get he's, it. You get it? Uh-huh. Remember this? <laughs> oh man uh i also included the sentence about pit and cream in mine okay so we we have a similar sentence in our rewrites here which is fun but here is mine but who is this broken man you speak of 
Aren't you going to say anything, Reap? whispered Lucy. Why should your majesty expect it? answered Reap a Cheap in a voice that most people heard. His name was Pittencream, and he stayed on the island of the star all the time the others were away looking for the world's end, and he very much wished he had gone with them. You might call it a punishment. Okay, okay. So, so we both we both talked about Pit and Cream. And yeah. We both wanted to kind of reimagine his situation. Yeah. I feel like we both expressed both empathy and judgment on Pit and Cream in ours. Yeah. Well, the the idea behind mine was just like rape a cheap kicking this guy out of the crew. I really do like that punishment line. Uh huh. But what was your first one? I, I liked that one too. But who is this broken man you speak of? See, and then I really like that <sighs> because it's taking Pit and Cream and putting him into the, the position of Roop. Uh huh. It's similar to what I did with putting him in with the sleepers. Yeah. We both liked, liked, Pete, liked Pit and Cream as a character, apparently. I mean, I don't, I, I think we both wanted <laughs> more from that. Uh huh. Cool. But you could say he lived happily ever after. You could. Because he convinced himself that all of his stories about the end of the world were true. Yeah, I don't think anybody in Kellerman believed him, but you know, it's either it way. Goes. You could say he lived happily ever after because he got what he wanted. You could say that. What's wrong with that? I mean that that is the Lewis that we have finally seen Lewis's theology come through for the first <laughs> time, like as he presents it in his own theological writings, like. This idea of of receiving that which you want in an afterlife, uh huh, like that is that is the, we finally got Lewis to actually express his theology as he presents it. Other, we finally places. convinced him. Like he did he, it. He, he answered all of our it. letters. He did it. <laughs> anyway, would you like to move on to the baseless speculation segment? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Baseless speculation. Mm-hmm. Baseless speculation. Yes, that's how we always introduce this one. Uh, so, anywho, <laughs> this is a segment where I baselessly speculate about what's coming next in the books because I have never read this book before doing the podcast and I don't know plot stuff for the most part. Plot um, stuff? And we're, we're two chapters out from the end of the book. I still don't know how it's going to end. There's less space for me to speculate what's going to happen here. Uh, and I feel like for this one... I got into a lot of mine just in the chapter itself with Lohe, like maybe Karaik and his Lucifer and that whole kind of thing and what he did wrong to, you know, the fault in his stars, uh, the idea of the book being this biblical narrative and this is revelation and we can go and assign different kind of chronological points of the biblical arc to uh the book as a whole and the different islands so all that stuff i kind of got into a little bit and that stuff i'm going to work on for the the review episode for sure and so for this one uh i i thought i haven't done a silly one in a while so i've got a, an idea for this one to run with okay and i'm just I, when i talked about the line of them saying oh they always thought the sun would look bigger the closer they got to you know the edge of the world they didn't would think they just kept thinking that it was getting bigger as they moved. yes and it's true they confirmed this uh in the thing they were just like yes it's true sun gets bigger the further out we sail yes and so i combined a couple of ideas here because i have a theory we know at this point i guess we know that uh narnia is a disc world it's flat because they're sailing to the edge of it has an edge has to be a disc or at least 
a flat shape. Maybe it's a square. Could Who be knows? a square. Could be a square. Could be a rhombus. Um, there's nothing that says it has to be a circle because magic. Could be a dodecahedron. However, absolutely Discworld. Um, however, the line about the sun looking bigger and getting bigger really got to me. And this idea of like the stars coming down and coming to rest in the islands and then going back. And so we pres- we've been presented with the cosmology of Narnia being vastly, vastly different than it is on Earth. And especially the sun thing, as they're closing to, getting closer to the edge, the sun's getting bigger. Where even in our traditional solar system, where Narnia is just a flat planet or orbiting body, that still wouldn't work and still wouldn't make any sense. Because, like... The sun's going around. Yeah. Well, maybe the sun... Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. But, like, it, if, if But you, if you're on a disc yes. and the sun's going around the disc... Yeah. Then it's going to be much hot. Yeah, like, as you get closer to the edge, it's going to look bigger. Yeah. So, so I have to draw a diagram of this because I really... I tried hard to find this on the internet, and I feel like I've come up with a novel theory that nobody else has actually talked about before because I couldn't find anything about it. So... This is my diagram for what I think Narnia looks like, which we can share this great picture on the Instagram. This is Narnia. Uh-huh. This is a planet. And Narnia is on the inside of it. Narnia is a flat plane inside of another spheroid of some kind. Okay, so you're going to, like, some ancient ideas here where there are spheres yes, this in is the a, heavens and yes. that the heavens are solid spheres. Yes, this is a solid sphere of the heavens. Your novel idea. And and this outer ring is rotating around Narnia. It's an ancient idea. Yes. This is not a novel idea, I'm telling you. I, I know, I'm not saying in the grand scheme of human history this is a novel idea. I'm saying as far as Narnia specifically goes, nobody has talked about Narnia being in this specific configuration. You say that having not read the Narnia cosmology book that we have in our house. Yeah, well. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Narnia is a flat plane inside of a solid rotating sphere of some variety. Mm-hmm. Or something okay. like that. Maybe it's like it's like some sort of Dyson sphere type structure or whatever. And okay, but with that said, what does that have to do with? Like you've gotten your confirmation that they're getting closer to the sun. Yeah. So like the the sun is just like something that's on the out the inside of this little hollow sphere that they're inside. Uh, as are the stars. Maybe maybe the stars are just like some sort of angelic race that actually lives on the outside of this thing and just like comes down inside of it occasionally like there's there's all sorts of places we could go with this okay um maybe that's maybe that is why maybe this is an experiment maybe this is some magical creation where narnia just lives inside of this sphere and it's like under observation from the powers that be or whatever uh and that's a thing maybe that's why time doesn't make any sense in narnia because time is artificial here Okay. And, and I'm, I'm glad that we have this segment. So uh, uh, as I'm we... Just, I just wanted to do a fun one. I'm not doing a serious one. I've been doing serious for chapters and chapters and chapters and being like, hey, this is what's happening with Kraken and I was right. And like talking about the whole sin thing. I just want to do a silly one. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm and... glad. So next week we will be reading <laughs> chapter 15, The Wonders of the Last Sea. And if you want to... 
give us your thoughts and feelings about Narnian cosmology <laughs> and the plight of pit and cream. You can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of the inside of a Dyson sphere at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. If you feel like contributing to this podcast and helping us pay our monthly hosting fee, you can do that at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, and never run away to Callerman. I mean, unless you're afraid of mice. And, you know, make sure that if you get stuck on an island, you've got that NPE. Mad Phoenix Energy. That Mad Phoenix Energy. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Phrases. Shall I define the difference between a sentence and a phrase? Yes, English major. Go for it. Do do tell and share. Do tell and share? Mm-hmm. Share and tell? Uh-huh. Don't show, though. Yeah. It's a podcast. Yep. We can't do that. Audio medium. Here comes the sun. Do-do-do-do. I'm not, I'm not wrong though, right? Like her name is never mentioned. Correct. Cool. Okay. We, we need to know part and star, port and starboard, uh, port and starboard and... Um, do you want me to go search the PDF? No, because we don't have time for that. However, I think that's what it says. Anyway, would you like to move on to the baseless speculation segment? I want to eat my Reese's. Okay. Ramen do? Baseless speculation. Mm-hmm. Baseless speculation. That's how we always introduce this one. <sighs> he says this is my diagram as he gets the pen out. Yes. He doesn't have it drawn already.